Welcome back to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gill here with my guy, Mike Renner. We're in studio with the new and improved Mike Renner. You cut your hair. Give us the story. Did you donate to Locks of Love? You look like a better man. I have to admit it. I did donate it. My friend actually makes wigs. I donated it to her. Uh, it was time. It was just coronavirus, everything. It was weighing on me, so I had to mm-hmm. shed some weight. And, and, you know, we're here now. And this is the week I've been dreading for a long, long time. Not, not that all these guys are opting out of college football, but that I'm back here in studio with you. That's the unfortunate thing that's going on in our lives right now. I mean, man, I mean, th- those locks brought in a lot of Cincinnati's finest bachelor fans, bachelorette fans, whatever it was. It's tough to see them go, but the new and improved render looks great. If you're tuning in on YouTube, you can see Mike's new haircut. If not, make sure you're listening on our podcast platforms here for today. We're going to do a quick little intro, look at things, Caleb Farley opting out. Rashad Bateman of Minnesota opted out. Micah Parsons rumored to opt out, according to Eric Edholm. And I know you have some potentially inside info about Rondale Moore, maybe. Very rumors. Rumors he could be opting out. That's what we're going over today. And also the Pac-12 news and the Big Ten joining that we are united uh, front today, according to Players Tribune. There are going to be multiple conferences, multiple players going to be kind of pushing to get paid in college football and all those things. So we're going to kind of go over that. Let's start with Caleb Farley, PFF's number one cornerback entering the 2021 NFL draft, a guy that's already graded really well, has all the tools and the production to be a top flight cornerback prospect. Was this a smart opt out for Caleb Farley? Because I don't, I don't know if Patrick Sertain or Sean Wade overcomes or overtakes Pat, um, Caleb Farley as cornerback one this draft. I think he could have put some more good tape out there. Like if he does it for another season, you would have felt better about it. And I think there was kind of a reason he came back in the first place. Like he almost had some unfinished business in terms of things to prove on his tape. But once all this hit and the fact that. Uh, you know, you're only playing the ACC only schedule. You're at a school like Virginia Tech, where realistically you're not competing for the ACC championship. I think it makes sense for him. I think he's still in the first round, no matter what he would have done this season. So yes, he might relinquish CB1 status with if some other guys ball out and have big years, but I still think he's going to be making himself a lot of money in the future. And uh, if that takes giving up a year of college football to save your health, so be it. You think there's a chance that someone overtakes CB1 status because yeah. he's sitting out? Who like are Sean those Wade. names? Like Sean, Sean Wade, Wade is a very realistic exam- or a realistic option to be cornerback one by the end of it. Patrick Sertain as well. I think both those guys have that size, speed sort of skill set. Sertain's a little bit slower, but Sean Wade has the physical tools, just haven't seen it on the outside. And again, there's a reason why he came back to school. He wants to prove he is that outside cornerback one type of guy. I'm not buying it, man. I think even with the sit-out, I think Caleb Farley sticks as PFF's cornerback one, earned a 90.5 PFF coverage grade this past year, allowed a 26.8 passer rating when targeted in 2019. Again, the production, 6'2", 207, a ton of athletic ability, made Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Sean Wade, I know he's moving from slot to outside corner. He has an opportunity if he can seize it to potentially be that cornerback one i don't know if he he, he does it though and I, i'm surprised he came back to school caleb Farley. like mm-hmm. i said there's unfinished business he probably wasn't you know he definitely wasn't going to be overtaking jeffrey okuda last year but after okuda i thought he easily could have been the top yeah. cornerback drafted off the board like he could have gone somewhere in the 12 to 15 range fairly easily last season if he declared uh you know would have ran like the four threes reportedly and like on tape he definitely runs that fast so uh surprised he ended up coming back to school but uh, I, I still think his draft status is pretty locked in at this point. 
Yeah, so going over Caleb Farley, we're going to jump to Rashad Bateman. Forgot to mention this, too. After this, we're going to have D, uh, Daniel Jeremiah on the podcast to talk some of these opt-outs, talk about what college football will look like in 2020, what scouting will look like in 2020. It'll be, I think, second or third appearance on the show. DJ, always a good get on the podcast. We'll get to that later. Let's talk Rashad Bateman, Minnesota wide receiver. A, a lot of people love his route running, his physicality, not necessarily a rare athlete. You could, He could run in the four fives, come the combine, even with a full season mm-hmm. of training, but... Is he, you know, going to maintain, you know, first round status as a receiver after opting out? I think so, and it's because in the guys who I think wouldn't, you know, need to have a year to prove haven't produced already at a high level. Yeah. Like if you are, say, Jalen Waddle, and you've only had 800 yards as like your best season, I'd be wary about opting out because you just haven't seen it a lot. You haven't seen this guy be a true, you know, number one true rotational piece that's, you know, can produce at a high level with Bateman as a true sophomore. We saw him put up over 1,200 yards, over 20 yards a catch, break 17 tackles, you know, on 63 catches, just was, or excuse me, 60 catches, was just very productive from the outside, led the NCAA in yards per route run as an outside receiver. The thing we harp on here at BFF. When he won, it was him beating the guy across from him. When he put up yardage, that's what he was doing. It wasn't because the scheme at Minnesota, although sometimes it was with the RPO glance uh, slant routes that they run a ton of there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like he won down the football field, won after the catch. Uh, and yes, he might not be the most physically imposing, but he gets off the line of scrimmage better than anyone else not named Jamar Chase in this wide receiver class. I mean, and already does that. And that's the thing you worry about with guys not translating to the NFL is can they get off the cornerback cross them. Then can they get off these physical, bigger NFL corners because they're all bigger in the NFL? Bateman, I have no worries about that. I mean, first thing in my notes: separation at and away from the line of scrimmage. Good, <laughs> good at, with his releases. Obviously, at his route stem as well. Earned an eighty-nine point zero PFF receiving grade. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, how much Minnesota runs RPOs. Forty-six yeah. percent of their you know plays are RPOs, most in the Power Five. However, sure. removing RPOs and still looking at Rashad Bateman, an outside receiver, averaged three point five seven yards per out run. It wasn't all gimme plays. This guy is winning That's on good. normal no, normal play calls, not just RPOs. One of the more productive receivers. And people forget Rashad Bateman, true sophomore this past year, yes. obviously playing there at Minnesota with Tanner Morgan, Tyler Johnson, etc. I, I really do think he won't be the first receiver off the board. I think Jamar Chase are still in, in running for that. Rondell Moore, I, even if uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but there are some better receivers than Bateman in this class. I still think, though, top 50 player when it's all said and done. That's the thing. To me, he reminds me of like a Keenan Allen type or a DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not saying like completely skill one-to-one. But, <laughs> He's like one of the best receivers but, in the no, NFL. But, but I'm saying they're not they, – those guys ran slow coming out. They didn't test extremely well. Their verticals weren't off the charts. He doesn't really wow in any sense. And like, he has some wow plays on his tape, but it's never like you flip on the tape and you're like, wow, those are – those are tools to work with. Mm-hmm. It's more just he's very good at wide receiver. Yeah. And, and is very good at all the little things about playing wide receiver. And he's pretty good. And he has good size as well, which those guys have. So I, I do think Rashad Bateman is going to get underdrafted with, relative to his talent level, relative to how good he is at the position. You'll see You'll see a new number of guys. I would say Jalen Waddle, obviously Jamar Chase. Or Probably Devontae Smith. Yeah, guys who have a little, probably a little bit more in the speed realm get drafted ahead of them. But then Rashad Bateman, we're going to be talking about this three or four years from now and be like, oh, how'd he fall to, you know, pick 25? He's 
one of the better receivers in football. All right, one more thing on Rashad Bateman. Talk to me about the differences between Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson, a guy who went, you know, played at Minnesota this past year, was the highest-graded receiver in college football, mm-hmm. according to PFF grades there at Minnesota. Because I feel like when you talk about Rashad Bateman, there's a lot of weak, similar weaknesses in Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson, not a good athlete. You don't have this, you know, the splash tools. And he was still a very good receiver at creating separation, had a good release package. What is really the biggest difference between Bateman and, and uh, Johnson? It is crazy. I think they are similar skill sets. Yes. I think Bateman is even a little bit faster than Johnson. I think that's why he ran the outside role, mm-hmm. whereas Johnson was over the slot. I, I think he had better hands uh, out away from his body. You saw a lot more body catches on Johnson's tape. And even though Bateman has some drops over the course of his career, they're not near the level of what Johnson had. But after that, they do have you know a similar sort of body of work and what they bring to the table. But again, you're going to feel more comfortable with the guy you've seen do it from the outside. Mm-hmm. Tyler Johnson, you didn't see him do it from the outside. Played so, in the slot, a ton yes. of off coverage. I, I would agree with that. And I think the first thing I mentioned here, the difference is the hands. He's ve- you know, Rashad hands Bateman is, is very good in contested catch situations and in open situations as well. Right, let's jump to Micah Parsons. I don't think he's made a statement yet. I don't think it's official according to Parsons yet, but Eric Ed- Edholm of Yahoo Sports reported that it's likely that he is opting out for the 2020 season. Hands down, the best linebacker in this class. PFF's linebacker one. It's going to be everyone, everyone. Everyone's, everyone and their mother's linebacker one. He's a generational talent. You said that, and you use that word pretty lightly because it's easy to make fun of generational as an adjective. But Mike Parsons is that up there with Reuben Foster, guys that have been highly talented up on linebackers. And even if you look at Devin Bush and Devin White, when they both came out, both first-round prospects, he's better than those guys because in addition to the athleticism and the ideal size for the position, you see the production on tape against the run. Devin White People forget was one of the, a bad run defender coming out of LSU. Like, mm-hmm. did not grade well according to PFF grades. I think Michael Parsons is the exact opposite of that. Really reads his keys well. A very smart, instinctive linebacker. And I think that translates to the NFL. You see linebackers that can read blocks, react to plays quickly, really do get it done in the NFL. Michael Parsons, very high graded in PFF system. An athlete, good size. I don't know if this guy's stock's going anywhere if he does opt out. No, it's not. There's no way it should. He's that good. And push. I do the pushback on generational because it is often overused. But it's like 10 years. 10 years is a generational yeah. prospect. If you're the best in 10 years, you're a generational prospect. To me, he's the best in Luke Keekley, which was, what, 11, 2011 draft? Yeah, so, so that's 10 years. So that's the best in 10 years. So he's, in my opinion, a generational prospect. Easily the best we've seen at PFF. The way I put it was is that he has throwback linebacker size. Like mm-hmm. He has 6'3", 245, classic 1995 linebacker that can come downhill and thump you know, a fullback in the hole. But he has modern athleticism. Like he runs a sub four five forty. Uh, he was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, uh, top ten in twenty nineteen, thirteenth this past season. He is legitimately a freak athlete. Can do all the things you want from a modern linebacker athletically, but has that power and that explosiveness. I, I think if you wanted to, you could draft him and put him at edge rusher, and you could do the anti, the opposite of Anthony Barr. Like he could do that flip. Oh, wow. he, could, he could draft him as as a edge rusher if you really wanted him to, and he would be one of the best. He'd probably be. You might arguably be the best edge rushing prospect in this class with how just talented he is as a football player. So, yeah, no, no hurt to his draft stock, but it did hurt me to hear him declare that or to hear <laughs> yeah, this. You want to watch him play? I mean, I want to watch him play. Generational prospects play the game. I mean, everyone is so excited yes. for this upcoming NFL and NCAA season to see some of the best names: Caleb Farley, Bateman, and now Parsons opt out is unfortunate. I know you recently added generational to your Tinder bio as well, even though it's not as off use. I, I get why adding it there makes sense. Rondell Moore, because I, I <laughs> get a swipe right once every ten years. There you go. Perfect. Rondell Moore. Not has not officially opted out. No reports yet, but there are some rumors that he could be opting out. The Purdue wide receiver that missed a bulk majority of the 2019 season yeah. with Rondell Moore. I, 
even though he's a freak athlete, you'll love his tape. Hashtag fun to watch all day long. Mm. If he does opt out, I think there are enough question marks undersized. Yes, he's a freak athlete, but you only have one year of production and it was his true freshman season. I think there are enough question marks if he does opt out for 2020, he could slip into day two, 100%. I mean, there's going to be enough there from a question mark standpoint to get him outside the top 32 picks. Yeah, so the Parsons one was hurt because... He's on a good team. Like Parsons is on a good team that could compete for the Big Ten title. And so mm-hmm. seeing a guy like that, you know, forego a senior year, like that's kind of a big domino to fall. Rondale Moore, there was always whispers of or has or still whispers of because he's on Purdue. Like Purdue <laughs> Purdue makes a bowl game. That's a good year for Purdue. Uh, that would be a surprise also for Purdue. So it, the team he's on is not going to be good. So like the actual competing aspect isn't there. But I think from a draft stock perspective, he of all these guys on this list could have skyrocketed with a big 2020 year. Like he could have gotten better if he proved more that he could run routes and get open from the outside, which his yards per route from the outside, if it qualified only 60 yards, 60 routes from the outside over the first two years of his career would have led the entire nation over the past two seasons. Like he has been productive when asked to go outside, but they just don't do it there at Purdue. If he did more of that this year, I think he could legitimately push himself into the top 10, top 15 conversation. But now we really haven't seen him play football since well start of 2019 season two real games that he played well there and then all the way back to 2018 it's been a while so this one he might legitimately hurt his stock or might might legitimately fall down boards because just we haven't seen him play enough football absolutely now you go back to that 2018 season an 89.7 pff receiving grade 114 receptions 154 targets 1258 yards and 12 touchdowns and multiple games where he's going against top flight competition in the big 10 and dominating absolutely dominating i think he broke the pff record yards after the catch per reception by a true freshman in the pff college era you saw it that year it was a flash in the pan but you saw it and i think that's almost like they had no one else yeah everyone knows (laughs) it's going to rondale exactly and i think with that I think that could keep lock him into the day two conversation if he does opt out. But oh, I mean, listed I, at five foot nine, 175 pounds, there are enough concerns there, I think, to push him out of the first round if he doesn't play another snap. But, but then again, speed goes high. True. If he tests, yeah, well, he's better than KJ. Mind, like yeah. everyone, like everyone and their mother would tell you, he's a better prospect than KJ Hamler. Yeah. And KJ Hamler still went like 40-something, 40 46. So true. Yeah. Very true. And I think he's going to test better than KJ Hamler. I, so. I mean, this guy's a freakier athlete almost. And I think people are making comparisons to Tyreek Hill. I, I've heard Percy Harvin. I mean, these guys that can really do damage with the ball in their hands and impact defensive game plans. That's yeah. what Rondell Moore does. You don't, Rashad Bateman, I don't think, impacts defensive game plans as much as Rondell Moore does because of just the rare talent he brings to the table. All right, let's close with this. Before we jump to the Daniel Jeremiah interview, I want to talk a little bit about the Pac-12 and I guess now the Big Ten. Both yeah. those conferences have representatives from you know players that are threatening to boycott the 2020 season, if not a laundry list of demands are met, mm-hmm. including a 50% rev share, uh, name, image, and like, uh, likeness for um, pay there. I mean, that aside, your opinion on that aside, who do you think this impacts the most? Because the name that comes to mind, or two names that come to mind for me, are both on the Oregon Ducks, and it's Penny Sewell and Javon Holland, two guys that are in top 20 on PFF's draft board right now. If those two guys opt out of the 2020 season as part of this boycott or whatever it may be, Does how much does that impact their stock? Because the NFL is not as high on Sewell as we are. Uh, you hear that? Those I, I don't turns. believe that at all. You don't believe that? No, there's no way that's true. It's not, it's not going to impact Sewell at all. He's fine. He's okay. locked in to like a top five pick. Um, 
it will affect. I mean, I think it will affect Javon Hollins if he was, he was a safety as a freshman mm-hmm. slot cornerback last year. I mean, he's been good, but I don't think he's put enough on tape to you know lock himself into a top fifteen pick. Like if if he's you know sits on that, and you have a guy like Andre Cisco play at Syracuse and he balls out, you're probably going to go with the guy you just saw play yeah. this past year who balled out. So uh, I, I think there are some guys that'll impact. I, I will just say it'll be interesting to see going forward. One, how many. Like players are actually in on this. I know they said we are united or yeah. whatever, but push comes to shove. How many guys are going to be like, I kind of want to play college football to see if I can get you know my draft? True. Not a lot of guys are set, uh, you know, in that regard. And the other one was the demands were are not going to be met. No, they are not going to meet all of these being, demands. In addition to them being like, you know hard to agree to you're not going to agree to any of them in a handful of months or even yeah. a month plus exactly. because there, there, there's a lot that has to go into agreeing to these demands i think i think the, the players the, that the health aspect i can see it getting agreed to because there yes. are some medical expense coverages other things like that like coronavirus uh, related uh, requests those i can see getting agreed to the pay the the other sort of stuff the having the pac-12 commissioner cut pay those aren't getting agreed to anytime soon. I mean, I name, name, image, and likeness could get agreed yes. to in that contract. I think the safety regulations, all that stuff. But like, there's no way, literally no way in the next you know, 30, 40 days that a 50% rev share gets agreed to for, for college football players. I'm sorry. I, even though, regardless of your opinion on that, I, I don't see that getting ha- happening before the 2020 season. I think players in the Pac-12 and now the Big Ten that they're kind of joining this front – the big name players like Rondale Moore, like Micah Parsons, like Rashad Bateman, these guys that feel like they're going to be top 50 picks have the luxury to opt out of this season. While others that are still trying to prove themselves, still trying to be these big names that, you know, we see every year guys that aren't in PFF's top 100 players or top 150 players mm-hmm. that blow up in their last season before declaring the draft. Those are the guys that want to play college football this year that want to make their name known before going into the NFL. Yeah, I, I do think. In time, we will get the name, image, and likeness rights. Like you will be able to make money off of you, who you are, mm-hmm. and not be limited by the whatever the pay, uh, whatever the NCAA says for mm-hmm. how much you can make off that, or how much you can even like limit how much you can make just from any other job, which is kind of ridiculous. That's going to change. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where it's going to be fifth, like revenue sharing be two players. I just don't see that happening. That's not college football. I, I think what we'll see before that is a league like the XFL or even the NFL sort of eliminate age restrictions and let these 18, 19 year olds who want to make money off of playing football, go to a league like that where they can. Yeah. I'm with you. Let's get uh, DJ's takes on all of this. DJ's takes on the opt outs, the PAC 12 news, all that stuff. Let's go ahead and jump into that interview. Joining the two for one drafts podcast again is Daniel Jeremiah, NFL media's Daniel Jeremiah. DJ, how are things going? A ton of opt outs right now. It's changing what scouting is really for the 2021 NFL draft. How, how are you doing right now? Yeah, it's weird, man. Uh, I was, uh, we were talking with uh, Brandon Bean a little bit earlier today and we were kind of going through how just different this could look where you could have, you know, some teams, obviously, it sounds like the Ivy League and some others could be going in the spring. So you're trying to evaluate guys in the fall, potentially in the spring. And then if players aren't going to play, opt, you know, a lot of these guys, I think you're going to see some of these top guys opt out. Um, how do you get a chance to see them? I'm not going to see them in football action, but can you get a chance to get eyeballs on those guys, you know, during the training process? Or do you just lose contact with them for a full calendar year? So it's crazy. I mean, it's look, it's it's small potatoes in terms of the, the real issues going on in the world right now, but it's never been more challenging to, to be in personnel than it is right now. How do you deal with a guy? Uh, wait, uh, there hasn't really been a corollary where a guy misses last year since like Mike Williams, Maurice Claret. That's probably when you were back working with teams. How do you deal with those guys who skipped that year? What, what was your, sort of your thought process out scouting those guys? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to rely on the, the previous tape. I mean, I, I tweeted out the other day, I mean, Nick played a couple games, but when you look at Nick Bosa's, you know, last year at Ohio State, there was enough good to go off of that, you know, previously that you felt comfortable with the evaluation. Then you add in the fact A, he's at Ohio State, B, who his brother is, and C, all the guys they've produced. You're kind of like, okay, I can kind of figure this out. This is not an unsolvable riddle here. Um, but, I, I, you know, in talking to teams around the league, they're – they're getting the opportunity to do something that PFF that you guys talk about being able to watch every single play. Um, so you've never, they've never had this luxury of time to s- devote to one season of play, uh, which is what they're really able to do on this last year. And then they're also even going back a year further. So the challenge is I was talking to a GM the other day and he said, look, I had this player that came in. We expected was going to be at two sixty-five. He showed up at two thirty-five. Oh man! Uh, we had another <laughs> player who we thought would show up at two ninety-five, and he showed up at three twenty. Um, so, and that's that's with their communication process with guys on their own team, just not physically seeing them. Now you're in a situation where you haven't you don't you don't have any contact with a lot of these college kids, and you haven't seen them. You don't know what they look like or how they move. That's why I've been trying to advocate you know, for a rule change in the, in, in the fall, if we have some schools or conferences that aren't playing um, to open up some of these workout facilities or allow some NFL personnel to be able to see these guys where they're training to at least get eyeballs on them physically. You don't get to see them play football, but at least you can see them move around a little bit. Well, I can't say my my weight during quarantine has stayed steady. It definitely packed on a few LBs as well. But <laughs> I want to talk specifically about some of the opt-outs. Uh, Caleb Farley, the Virginia Tech cornerback, currently PFF's number one corner entering the draft. And then also Rashad Bateman, two of the official opt-outs right now. What are your thoughts on those two prospects, and, and how big is this opt-out for them? Well, I'm gonna, Farley is, is my next assignment here. So I this first look series where I look at 20 guys. He's literally number 20. So he is, he's going to be uh, my homework for this evening and that'll be out on Friday. But, you know, Bateman's a really good player and really physical. You play outside, you can play inside. I didn't think he had like that elite, elite top speed, you know, but I really don't know that that's all that important as it is, as people might think. So somebody that's really good getting in and out, very physical. He's going to probably have to dial that down a little bit. He gets away with some stuff at the top of the route. Um, but he, you know, I put down, I don't know if it's the Jersey number or what, but there's, I got some Mike Thomas kind of vibes from watching him just because of, of that, that aggressive way in which he plays and the ball goes up, it's his and some of that inside outside combination. So, um, I think he's a really good player. I, I think to me, if you're trying to guess, you know, where does he you know fall in a draft process? It's so early to, to say that, but to me, he kind of reminds me of those, kind of, uh, you know, 25 to 35, you know, type range. I didn't think he was a top 10 type player, uh, but somebody that's going to probably end up going to a good team and, and have a nice run. Yeah, I, I'm bored with that evaluation completely. That's where I kind of said he'll end up going. I think he'll end up going after all this. But the guy who's the sort of blue chip guy, the biggest name to have opted out already, Micah Parsons, Penn State linebacker. Where do you think he one ends up, and what are your thoughts on him as a prospect? He's not officially opted out yet, but the rumors are that he will be. He's really talented. Um, I, I put a huge grade on him, and I'm just kind of going through my notes right now and looking at some things. And when you have the ability, with the way the game is right now, to be able to play off the ball, to be able to cover running backs, to be able to mirror tight ends, uh, which he's done, then you add what he can do as a blitzer. Um, you've got the range laterally. Um, you know, I didn't think his instincts were like an elite level. If you're kind of comparing him to 
Um, let's go to another big linebacker we've seen recently on Tremaine Edmonds. I thought Tremaine was a little bit more instinctive than him um, on college tape. But you have that same type of athleticism and, and range, um, which to me is so big at that position right now. What is your opinion uh, on the Pac-12 and now the Big Ten today, according to the Players' Tribune, kind of joining this We Are United movement? What do you think the impact of that will be on some of the bigger-named Pac-12 prospects? And then also, uh, now that the Big Ten's involved, Penny Sewell, Javon Holland comes to mind, some others as well. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I'm, I'm glad that they have the freedom to get their voice heard and, and to put that out there. I don't think that's a bad thing at all and trying to get better you know, conditions. I, I, I kind of jump off board a little bit when you get into the revenue sharing. That gets a little complicated for me, and you start getting into the – you see the Twitter battles that take place over the, is a scholarship a job? Is it not a job? What's the value? I, I, I don't care about all that stuff. That's over, over my head, above my pay grade. Um, but in terms of wanting safe working conditions um, during a pandemic, yeah. I mean, have your voice heard, and, and, and for them to organize together, I think that's a good thing. But the challenge with – you know, these guys potentially opting out or the threat of some people opting out is that I, I think I can make a strong case in favor of these top guys. And I'm put a number conservatively, let's just say 20 to 30. And I can say conservatively, the you 20 to 30 guys are going to be top 60 picks. So I'm giving myself some wiggle room there. But, you know, th- that's the scale you're on. I think we can safely say that about 20 to 30 guys. But if you put the top you know, 200 players in a room and ask them, everybody that's a top 50 player stand up, you would have all 200 guys <laughs> would stand up. So I think there's a lot of people that are the false impression that I'm a first round pick or I'm a second round pick because my dad, my uncle, my position coach, my high school coach, they've all, you know, agent, you know, all these agents have told me that I'm a first round pick. It's not necessarily true. So that's where I would just, you know, have some caution there. Look, if you're one of those top 20, 30 players, we can all agree upon, man, it's, I can't, I can't argue against you opting out because there's only one good thing that can happen. If you play, you up your draft stock, you play better, you, your stock goes up. There's three potential bad outcomes, right? You could get COVID, you could get hurt, you play worse. So that's just like a simple math equation for those guys. But I think again, that number is 20 to 30. It's not, you know, 150 to 200. All right. I'm sick of talking about COVID opting out. I want to talk about the actual prospects here. Let's dive into this quarterback class a little bit because I've said they could go one, two, three. Trevor Lawrence of Clemson, Justin Fields of Ohio State, Trey Lance of North Dakota State. I think they're that good. How good is this quarterback class in sort of relation to once in the past? And what are your thoughts on how, how are you ranking these top three here? Yeah, I think it's really good. I, I had fun studying them. And uh, over the summer, I kind of I went into it knowing a lot about two of them and not a lot about Trey Lance. You know, I'd heard about him and talking to people and you see him in some crossover tape. And, oh, that's a nice play, but I hadn't really studied him. Um, so I came, you know, entered the process thinking it's going to be Trevor Lawrence all, all by himself, you know, then a gap, then Justin Fields, and then, you know, the uh, – the scrappy upstart from North Dakota state comes in third. And then when I watched all three of them, I was like, man, if I, if I don't helmet scout and just evaluate the way they played, I had Trey Lance as the best one. I, I thought he was the best he made. He can make every play, you know, with his arm and with his legs, he's the best decision maker by far. And that's, that's referenced. And you can see the, the lack of turnovers. Um, he's selectively aggressive. So when there's times to take shots, he's not just a check down Charlie, like he'll push the ball vertically down the field. Um, 
And so I look at poise, decision-making, accuracy, playmaking ability, toughness. Like he's literally off the charts in all five of those key areas. So he, to me, was was the most impressive of the bunch. Now, I would say Trevor's probably going to be the one that goes ahead of him um, because you've got the rare size and the athletic ability and the pedigree and, and playing at a, at a higher level. But I thought Trevor can make every play. He has the wild plays. I just did not think that he was as pinpoint accurate as, uh, as I would like. I thought – um, he missed some, missed some throws and, and that bothered me a little bit. And then Justin Fields, you know, kind of two guys before that injury. Um, you could really see what he can do as a playmaker. I saw him play in high school. I saw both him and, and uh, Trevor Lawrence at, at the uh, opening, at the Nike opening when they were in high school. I remember thinking Justin Fields, like just as physically mature as he was. And, uh, and even when you talk to him, just a very, he was a very mature kid. Um, and he can make every type of play. Now, his thing for me was just holding on to the ball too long, uh, trying to trying to make every single play and just not having that internal clock uh, to me was his biggest, biggest issue. So I came out of that process with uh, Trey Lance one, Trevor Lawrence two, Justin Fields three, and I thought they were all three to me were top five, top ten, you know, caliber picks. If you're going back over previous, you know, guys, I actually thought – and people will think I'm crazy – but I, I thought Trey Lance was further along watching him than Carson Wentz was when he was coming out. And I love Carson Wentz, but I think Trey Lance, is a, he's just a better decision maker and, and played the position more smoothly, cleanly. Yeah, wow, that's, that's impressive, especially considering you just don't have a huge sample size with Trey Lance. He's throwing you know, 18 dropbacks a game or whatever it may be, but you even see it. You just see it, that, you know, the ability that he does bring to the table. I'm also glad. What do you guys brought- think about that? What do you guys think? I'd love to get your opinion on that. So to me, I've been hit with that a lot is the sample size uh, with him. And I come out of it saying, look, I, I don't need to see you do – I don't need you to – I don't need to see you run a, a 10 flat 100 meters 500 times to know you're fast. If I see you run a 10 flat 100 meters one time, I'm pretty confident that you can run fast. And with him, I felt there's enough there that I think he can make every single throw. He can make every single play. What do you guys think? See, talent-wise to me, you tell me he's the most talented of the bunch. I can agree with that. But if you don't see a guy have to win with his arm, I think that's kind of a a difference in quarterbacks. It was kind of like the Dak Prescott early in his career criticism. Until you see him win where it's on him instead of 18 dropbacks a game and it's in the uh, run-heavy offense there at North Dakota State against lesser competition, until you really see a guy have to do that, I'm not going to be sold that he can. And so that's the biggest thing to me with him. Like we saw Trevor Lawrence bury Alabama as a freshman in the national championship game when he had to you know, throw. We haven't really seen that with Lance. And so that's the biggest difference. And that's where I stand on that. But but to add to that too, I mean, it, it only takes probably what four throws to see he's got one of the most talented arms in the class. Yeah. Like it only takes a handful of reps to see just pure arm talent. But I agree that you do need to see a larger sample of those times where he's game on the line. It's on his shoulders to kind of be the the best player on the football field. Um, I'm also glad you brought up, honestly, you know, Trevor Lawrence's inconsistency from an accuracy standpoint, because if you look at the start of last season, he was not one of the more accurate, you know, quarterbacks in the ACC, let alone college football. And I think he found his groove later in the season but I think there's still more there you want to see more consistency from an accuracy standpoint with Trevor Lawrence moving away from the quarterback position I wanted to talk more about who are some of your favorites I know you're just getting into the scouting process you got Caleb Farley coming down the road but who are some guys that you're already kind of pounding the table for in this class well I mean I don't think it's hard for some of them I mean Greg Rousseau is another one who I'd heard the name but I felt like I mean, full disclosure did not watch a lot of Miami Hurricane football last year <laughs> Uh, so, you know, doing the draft process, 
did those other defenders, but it, he popped a little bit and I kind of, but I did not know a lot about him. So some of that is this why this is my favorite time of the year is like it's getting new presents when you get to you've you've seen those games and study those other prospects from the previous class for so long um, to get to see with fresh eyes some new players and I was like holy crud like this dude is legit like I, I to me I put a bigger grade on him than I had on any edge rusher in last year's draft class so I I, I thought no outside of oh, Chase Young I should I was, say I but right 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 outside of Chase Young he's right there like he's he's right underneath him in terms of what he can do and you can make a case. Obviously, Chase is, is more explosive and, and stronger and plays with better strength. This kid bends. He can bend a little bit better uh, than Chase can. He is a really good player. And the positional versatility, too, with Rousseau. I mean, he played some nose last year. He lined up on guards. I mean, they had him doing everything at Miami. Didn't watch a lot of Miami games last year either, but you, you saw it. You saw him do a lot of different things very well. He's a, he's a good player. I, I texted – actually, hold on. Let me pull that up for you. The uh, – I asked, I sent him, this is the best part about technology compared to when I was scouting is that you can uh, reach out to these kids directly because I wanted to know what he was weighing. Um, now here it is. So he's, he played last year at 248. And when I Oof. sent him a message on June 11th, he was 262. So that's, that's good. That's up. good weight for him. He could get up to probably 275. That guy's got a frame. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, he looks like he's stretched out a normal edge. <laughs> All right. So we got a game for you. I know you like to play with Bucky where you read your scouting reports. And yeah. Guess them on the move six pod. We're going to play yeah. DJ's greatest hits. These are the scouting reports that you oh, know on the dot that you, you nailed it with these guys, but we're going to see if you remember what you said about them. Okay. All right. So, this is scary. Here's you guys question. could have really gone the other way and made me look really bad here. You it really sounded better. Bad. DJ's greatest hits just sounded good. <laughs> well, you're limited with time. If you did all the misses, it'd be a nine-hour podcast. <laughs> that's everybody. That's, that's how it goes in this biz. All right. He has ideal size, versatility, and explosiveness for the position. He lines up as both a high safety and in the box. Against the pass, he is at his best roaming underneath or matching up in the slot. He can range and make plays from the deep middle, but he's more valuable closer to the line of scrimmage. He doesn't have a lot of ball production, but he provides a physical presence and delivers huge hits on opposing pass catchers. He's at his best in run support. He is quick to key and explode to the alley with outstanding range against the run. He makes a lot of plays from the opposite hash. He is a dynamic athlete, and I've been told his intangibles are off the charts. He will be a tone setter for an NFL defense, and he's ready to play right away. I'm going to say because the uh, intangibles, God, it, I think it's I, I think it's Jamal Adams, but Derwin James would be my backup. I'll say Jamal Adams. Nailed it. Jamal Adams, your number two prospect that season. And that one looks looks pretty good in retrospect, I'll say. God, were you guys surprised at what they were able to fetch? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I mean, he they took a king's ransom to uh, send Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks. What, what was your opinion of that trade? A no-brainer, no-brainer on on uh, the Jets side. You had to do it. They don't have a foundation built, so this gives you an, an opportunity to build a foundation. They spent all their money in all the wrong places, um, so to be able to put their money in the premier positions was a no-brainer. And then I, it's a lot to give up, um, but from Seattle's standpoint, I they feel like they're right there. So I, I'm a believer, and if you think you're right there, be bold and make a bold move to try and to try and go get a ring. And if they feel like they're there, then I got no problem with it from their end. But it's a lot to give up. It, it was definitely a bold move. I kind of want to use this as an opportunity too, to talk about Sam Darnold a bit because you, you speak to them not having a foundation, but they've been trying to add some pieces to build around Sam Darnold, give him an opportunity to really show what he can be in the NFL. Added Denzel Mims this past year. What are your expectations for Darnold this upcoming season? How important is 2020 to Sam Darnold? 
Well, you know, I, I don't know that I have big expectations for the team um, <laughs> because it's just that Joe hasn't had a chance to put enough pieces in place. So they're going to be better on the offensive line because that Sam's going to play better and Sam's numbers will be better. I know they don't have, you know, an unbelievable set of skill position players, uh, but Herndon's a better tight end than people realize. He, him, him being healthy is going to help them out a lot. And uh, you've got Crowder. So you've got two players that can give you easy completions. And and I think Sam, I think he's really talented. Um, so I think you see a small step forward this year. And then with the influx of picks and, and, and the money they have in free agency next year, I think next year is the year for Sam to really kind of take off and explode. I'll just add this also about that trade. Wait, Seahawks have drafted in the first round. Maybe not the worst thing that they could do. <laughs> yeah, that's a trail of tears in the first round. No, no bueno. All right, let's get to the next greatest hit here was an ultra-productive DT. He has enormous, powerful base. He easily holds the point of attack. He has an explosive get-off as a pass rusher, and he knows how to finish. He will get gassed if left on the field for too long. Overall, he's one of the most disruptive interior defenders in the draft. And I'll, I'll give you a hint. I think this was 2016 draft, I want to say. Absolutely nailed this eval, though, for the yeah. player it is. 2016. Oh, gosh. It's not Jaron Reed, is it? No. Who is it? Who is Javon that? Har- Javon Hargrave. Oh, Javon Hargrave. Nice. Yeah. You had him 47th on that one. And he went what, did he, what, what, what pick was he? He was 89th in that draft. So, Spot. God, he was unbelievable. I don't know if you guys remember, but like the uh, the all-star stuff, he they couldn't block him. I think he was at the East-West, and then he went to the Senior Bowl. They didn't block him either week. Uh, but, man, he, he was built like a dump truck. Yeah, that was before we did FCS games, unfortunately. So we, you were spot on. We were not with that one. So uh, last one here. Last one. This one's, I'll give you a, a little hint. This is not, you got, you were lower on him than where the road okay. going. So okay. average height and a thick square build for the position. He operates in the shotgun and has quick feet in his setup. His excellent pocket feel and awareness. He has a dip whip delivery and he generates enough velocity to make all the necessary throws. He is an anticipation thrower who shows the ability to read the entire field. His accuracy is good, but not great. He has some easy misses on simple underneath throws. He's a very good athlete and throws well in the move to both sides. He's effective on designed QB runs. It sounded like Baker Mayfield, but it's Mitch Trubisky. So no, is- I'm, I'm saying you were, oh gosh, I screwed that one. So I said you were lower on him than where he ended up going. You had him 31st on your board there that year. And Trubisky went second overall. So, oh, okay. So that, so that was, oh, so that was Trubisky. Yes. That was Mitch Trubisky. Okay. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So he was 31st in hindsight. If he was the 31st pick in the draft right now, you'd be like, okay, maybe, you know, he's still time for him. The yeah. fact he's the second pick in the draft, everybody's punted on him. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying there. All right. Well, that's going to do it for TJ's greatest hit. So I have to get you back on and do some. You guys, you guys did a time. solid on that because you could have really. I mean, you could have unearthed some. We some tried to not go too ones. many deep hidden gems there, but I think the Javon Hargrave eval is impressive. Seeing how well he's done the NFL, specifically as that explosive penetrator on the interior, very impressive stuff from DJ. Well, do, you, do you guys? Do you guys? Before before we wrap up, do you guys mm-hmm. ever? Because uh, this is what I do. When it's different when you're with the team. Now, when you go into the media. I always joke it's way harder what we do because we have to show our grades on everybody versus the team only having to show their grades on like, you know, seven players. But do you ever see like, like Adam Shaheen, great example. Like he gets traded and, and like there's still that flicker of hope of just like, maybe it's just a change of scenery. You know, maybe I did not miss on that report. Maybe if we can just get him a fresh start somewhere, maybe that report can come back to life. Oh, I'm still 
Josh Jackson, Iowa cornerback. I still think this is the year. Like he had, he didn't even play last year for Green Bay, but this is the year. Maybe it's safety. <laughs> Maybe he moves to safety this year. He's going to do that. But well, it also what you mentioned there about fans, you're like you having to show your work. You, you miss on one guy. You get one bad eval. People point to that all the time. It's like, dude, teams miss on these first rounders all. Like this happens. That, that's par for the course to have this one terrible eval. It just that is what it is. Everyone has their misses. Trust me, you, I've been, I mean, that's why I kind of laugh because I haven't worked in Baltimore where, you know, the reputation is you know, the best drafting team in the National Football League. And it probably is, but I've been on the inside and I've seen years where we've been <laughs> bummed that we had to take a player that ends up being an all-time great player because somebody else took the guy we really wanted. Uh, and so you get the credit for getting the player right when, in fact, we probably didn't have him in, in the proper order. So it's just it's, it's weird, man, how it all works. That was Peter the, King. That was the Packers trying to trade out of the Aaron Rodgers pick. It's like they tried. No one wanted to trade it. So And P- Peter King has come into the office before and talked about how the Cowboys were locked in on Connor Cook and, and then ended up getting, you know, the Raiders take him and then they up to Dak Prescott in that dude, draft. They, they were, it wasn't even just Connor Cook. Remember, they were in on Paxton Lynch. <laughs> and then that was, that was a no-go. So then Connor Cook was the number two plan. Dak Prescott was number three. The media doesn't get that luxury. You know, your evals are on every single player, so it's a kind of proof in the pudding there. Well, Daniel, always good to have you on. I called you Daniel. DJ, DJ, always good to have you on the podcast. We're going to have to get you on again before the season starts. Hopefully, we do have full NFL and NCAA seasons, but uh, thanks again for everything. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's been great to get to know you guys a little bit over the last couple of years and uh, respect you guys and the work that you do, and, and hopefully we'll do this again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.